Good morning. Good to see you. Wow, I love those praises. How wonderful it is to come and um, hear y'all praise the Lord. Uh, Kind of a tearjerker. And then my favorite song, Ancient Words, Ever True, Changing Me and Changing You. We have come with open hearts. Oh, Lord, let the ancient words impart. And that always makes me (coughs) cry, (coughs) excuse me, too. And that's why we're here this morning. And what a great place to be on this uh, lovely, uh, warm morning that's soon to be cold. But, you know, the best thing about the cold, we all get to wear our scarves this winter. Scarves are in, and and, uh, I've never had so many cold days and opportunities to wear them. That's great. You know, we've been talking about... um, You've Got Mail. That's the title of our 16-week study this semester. And uh, last week, Lynn brought some little letters that children had written to God. And so this morning, I thought I would bring a little letter. It's actually a love note um, on this little scrap of paper. It was given to me by my son about 21 years ago. I think he was about 8 years old, and it's typed on what would now be considered an old-fashioned typewriter. We were at church. Um, Rachel was having her piano lesson, and Ben was off, I think, sitting at Frank Hooper's desk on his old-fashioned typewriter. And he typed this for me, and he gave it to me. And I read it, and I have always kept it in my wallet. And whenever I change wallets with those important cards, I've changed this. And I found it the other day. It's kind of beat up. But I thought I would share this love note to me from my son, Ben. Dear beautiful mom. You are a very nice and cool mom. I love you very, very, very much. I'm glad you're my mom. You are nice to me, and you don't embarrass me that much. (laughs) Now, (laughs) he was about eight years old when he wrote it. He's 29 now. Um, And if those of you that know Ben know that he would have written this, because he's always loved his mom, excuse me, very much. And he's always been very concerned about being embarrassed, especially by his mom. So um, if you see him, don't tell him uh, I read this because it probably would constitute embarrassment. (laughs) But you can see why I kept that little love note. It was from my son. And it encouraged me as a mom. Love letters encourage us. And that's what we've been looking at as we study this um, mail that the Thessalonians received from Paul. We're going to go on in a few weeks, and we're going to look at the uh, mail that Peter sends to the Christians in Asia Minor. But these first five weeks, we're looking at Paul's first letter to the Christians in Thessalonica. We've said before that Thessalonica is a very large, major harbor city, and that the capital of Macedonia was there. It was an important city with many travelers passing through. Paul, with his companions, Silas and Timothy, travel to Thessalonica on Paul's second missionary journey. They are in Thessalonica a short time, but some Jews and many Greeks believed the gospel message while they were there. You know, these letters that um, we're reading and studying, they're love words to the Thessalonians, but also we can see God's love for us through these words. And that's what our goal is for this study. That we will realize the real life encouragement that um, God has for each of us. Paul develops a very <clears throat> excuse me, deep connection with the Thessalonians. 
It's a deep, committed love. And he writes this letter to them for many reasons. But one major theme that I see throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians is encouragement. The first week, Paul encouraged the Thessalonians with his thanksgiving to God for all that had happened as the Thessalonians received and accepted the gospel. Last week, we saw Paul encourage the Thessalonians with his defense of his conduct and his motives for coming to them. They were godly motives, and they were godly um, conduct. It was encouragement aligned with God's truth, and it was born out of a committed love. Paul comes to them in truth and sincerity and selflessness with pure motives and divine leading. Paul was God's man. Today we're going to look at how Paul encourages them with his great love for them. So let's turn to 1 Thessalonians and let's look at chapter 2. And we're going to start with verse 13. And in this first section, we're going to see Paul's love for the Thessalonians through his concern for them. Paul's concern for them. Concern for their well-being, physically, as well as spiritually. So let's look at verse 13, and it says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. In verse 13 here, Paul is remembering how they believed the gospel message. And that gospel message was this, that Jesus' death and resurrection made atonement for their sin. It reconciled them with God, and it gave them an eternal relationship with him, eternal life. Paul used the Old Testament prophecies to reason um, with them and to show them how Jesus was the promised Messiah in the Old Testament. And Paul says he remembers here that they accepted these words, not as words of men, but as the word of God. And it's at work in you who believe. How does God's word work in us? We talked about that in your small groups last week, and we talked about it again this week because it is so important. That's why we come to Bible study, because the word of God is powerful and it changes us. That's why I love that song. It's ever true, changing me and changing you. On your verse sheet, I've written Hebrews 4.12. It was a verse we looked at last week. For the word of God is living and active. God's word is powerful. And Isaiah 55.11 says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. His word is powerful. It brings us life and it transforms us. You know, if you read Psalm 119, there's 176 verses. You can have, make a long list of how the Word of God works in us. And you might want to do that sometime. Just go through and write down everything that you see about the Word of God changing us. And when you come to words like precepts, 
decrees, law, statutes, commands. Those are all words, uh, synonyms for the word of God. They mean the scriptures. I wrote down a few of the things, just a few that I saw as I glanced through Psalm 119. It says God's word gives us direction. It gives us understanding. It gives us wisdom. It brings us delight. It gives us peace. It keeps us from evil and from sinning. And one of my favorite verses is 105 in verse 119. And it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It gives us light. It lights up our path so we know where we're going. Chapter 1 of Thessalonians tells us that the word came in power and it transformed the Thessalonians. It was from the word of God that they got faith and love and hope. God's word is at work in us as well. That's why we're here today. Studying God's word and letting it change us. And Paul knows that God's word is working in the Thessalonians because of the way they handled the hardship that they suffered for their belief in Jesus. God's work, word was at work in them during their suffering. Paul says, just like the believers in Judea suffered from their fellow Jews, you too, Thessalonians, are suffering from your fellow countrymen. And Paul would know this. Because before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was a devout Jew persecuting those Jewish believers that lived in Jerusalem and in other cities in Judea. Then he lists in verses 15 and 16 how the Jews throughout the past had missed the plan of God. How they killed the prophets and then they killed Jesus. And now they were trying to keep Paul and the disciples from spreading the gospel message. This displeased God. You know, it's one thing not to believe, but to openly be hostile to the word of God and to hinder others from coming to believe, that displeases God. It says, Paul says, that will bring God's wrath upon you. They were hastening their judgment with this behavior. Paul's concern that comes out of his deep love is not only for the Thessalonian believers, but for those that were being hindered from hearing the message of God. As we look at Paul's loving concern for the Thessalonians in this section, we too can know that out of God's love for us comes his caring concern. There's many verses in scripture that talk about God's caring concern for us, but I put a couple on your verse sheet. The first one is Psalm 121, verse 3, and it says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Ladies, God cares for you. He is not falling asleep at the wheel. He doesn't go on vacation. He doesn't turn around to pay attention to someone else and forget about you. God cares for you. God is always present. He is with you. Matthew 23:37 this is Jesus speaking and he says, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing." This weekend, I was at the stock show with my grandchildren, and you know in that children's barn, they always have the little chicks, and they're hatching out, and they're running around, and they're getting on that Ferris wheel, and they're making so much noise, cheep, 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 and it's so loud, these little chicks. 
And you see that mother hen. And this verse came to my mind as she gathers them up. And as she gets them under her wing, they finally are quiet because they feel secure. They know the safety of being under her wings. That's what Jesus is saying in this verse. It's such a great picture picture of us running around and chip, 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 chip and making so much noise. And Jesus wants to gather us up, hold us in his arms so that we feel safe and secure. God cares for us. And 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Those troubles, those hardships, those things that have you concerned, cast them on God because he cares for you. Be encouraged by God's loving concern for you. Let's go on and look at verse 17. And in this section, we're going to see Paul's words of love. And these are some descriptive words. Starting in verse 17, But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, In person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. We see here in this section that um, Paul starts out by calling them brothers, and Lynn talked about that last week. It shows a deep connection that he had with the Thessalonians. It's a great term of endearment, and he uses the word brothers. He calls them brothers 21 times in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. He thinks of them as family. And Paul speaks with such intensity here, and we see kind of this naked emotion displayed in his words, in these descriptive words. First, we look at the word torn away. And in the Greek, it really means orphaned. And that word um, is a strong word, and it gives us a sense of his desolation at being apart from them. And then it says out of intense longing, intense longing. It's a word conveying strong passion. They made every effort over and over again. Um, many times to try to go back and to see the Thessalonians. Paul longs for the Thessalonians. He longs for them intensely. Have you ever longed to see someone? Shelley Davis is going to see her son in um, England. He's stationed there in the Air Force, he and his wife, and she has been longing to see him. Oftentimes we long to see those that we love. And when I thought about intense longing, I went back to a time in my life um, that I think of intensely longing to see my family. And it's when I was a freshman at TCU. Now, I grew up in Miami Springs, Florida, and as a high school senior, I decided I was going away to college. I was going out of the state. Jenny Sharp's daughter kind of uh, reminds me of myself. I was going away. And, uh, and my dad said to me, if you marry a Texan, you will never leave Texas because they don't leave Texas. And I kind of laughed and said, oh, daddy. So I applied to many different schools. And with the help of my um, high school guidance counselor and the providence of God, I came to Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, Texas. Now, they had the two major qualifications that I was looking for. One, they had a great nursing school, and I wanted a degree in nursing. And second, they had a football team. 
Unfortunately, those of you that um, might remember the early 70s, they were not going to any bowl games back then. In fact, they were horrible. I was shocked at how bad they were, not to mention that the horn frog was their mascot, which nobody had told me about. It, it, was so, it was so bad that my freshman year, the University of Texas beat TCU 51 to nothing. I'll never forget it. Um, I, I have trouble, I'm sorry, with the Longhorns to this day. It was horrible. It was a very cold day, and it was a very bad score. But that's, that's not my story. Okay, so I'm here with a bad football team going to nursing school, and I begin to become so homesick, I thought I was going to die. I longed to see my family intensely. I was very surprised by this. I had not thought I was going to get so homesick. I can remember walking down the hall to the telephone booth. In those days, you guys, can you believe this? There was not a telephone in my dorm room. I had to walk down the hall, get in the telephone booth, and dial the phone, call, collect, to home. And I can remember the first couple times I tried to do this, that I was crying so hard that I couldn't finish dialing it. I had to hang it up and go back to my room. And when I finally did get a hold of my family... I said to them, I was coming home at Thanksgiving, okay, when you come to the airport to get me, I want everybody. I want daddy and mom and my brother and my other brother. Now, I had one brother that was a year younger than me. He was a high school senior. And then I had a brother and a sister that were nine and ten years younger. Even the high school senior, they brought them all. And I can remember when I got off that plane, the joy I felt at seeing them. I had been counting down the days to get back to Miami to see my family. I longed for them intensely. I thought about that as I read about Paul and his intense longing for the Thessalonians, but Paul could not get back to them. It says he was stopped by Satan. Now, how did Satan stop him? We don't don't know. It doesn't tell us here. Paul doesn't say. You get the feelings that the Thessalonians would know, that they would understand. But we don't know. And I've looked in uh, several different commentaries. Nobody could really tell me. It was all speculation. Some people said maybe it was illness. Some people said maybe danger. Some said um, that maybe it was those city officials that prohibited them from coming. You remember those city officials that had gathered up Jason and some of the other brothers and had thrown them into prison. And because of that, Paul and Silas and Timothy left in the night. We don't know, though. It's all speculation. But what we do know is that Paul is not referring to Satan in a figurative way. Paul thought of Satan as having real existence. Satan is a Hebrew word, which means accuser or adversary. Satan is our adversary. He's opposed to our best interests. He is our enemy. Satan is opposed to Jesus Christ and his believers. John Calvin said once that however the ungodly cause us trouble, they are fighting under the banner of Satan and are his instruments for harassing us. Be aware of the ongoing spiritual battle, ladies. Do not take Satan for granted. Do not take him lightly. We know that Paul didn't. And then he continues on in verse 19, and he expresses his love some more for the Thessalonians. And this time he turns to that time in the future when Jesus is going to return. And Paul will be with the Thessalonians then in the presence of Jesus. And so he asks this rhetorical question. He says, what will be our crown, our glory, 
our joy when we stand in the presence of Jesus. It's you. It's you, the Thessalonians. You are our crown and our glory and our joy. Now, the word there for crown does not mean like a crown that a king would wear, but instead it's referring to the laurel wreath that the athletes would wear when they had won a race or um, won an athletic game. Just that little green um, wreath that they wore. It was a symbol of them winning. Now, some of you may remember when the Olympics were in Greece a few um, times back, they, with the gold medals and silver medals, they also gave them those little laurel wreaths. It was just a little wreath, but it had a great symbol because it meant that they had won the race. That's what Paul is saying here, that the Thessalonians would be his crown. They would be an outward symbol of this inward joy that he would know in the presence of Jesus How encouraging those deep-felt words of love must have been to the Thessalonians. Have you ever felt that deep joy that comes when you lead someone to the Lord? Or maybe you've been a part of someone's spiritual journey. Maybe praying for them or mentoring them or teaching them, walking alongside them, listening to them. Maybe you've been involved with little children in this way, or maybe your own children or grandchildren or other family members, or maybe it's just friends, people you know, or maybe even strangers. You've been involved in their life and helping them along their um, path to be nearer to God. That is a feeling of great joy. You would know a little bit how Paul is feeling when he thinks of the Thessalonians. John felt like this. He writes on your verse sheet in 3 John, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He had no greater joy than to hear that his children were walking in the truth. And he means his spiritual children there. William Barclay says that a man's greatest glory lies in those whom he has set or helped on the path to Christ. Ladies, that is our great glory too. Those relationships that we have helped or set on the path to Christ. I think this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6. Ted talked about this on Sunday. That treasure that we put up in heaven. That treasure are those relationships that we have helped set on the road to Christ. And just like the Thessalonians must have felt encouraged with these words that um, Paul speaks, these words of love, we too can be encouraged as we realize that God speaks words of love to us all through the word of God. All through his word are words of love to us. Now on your verse sheet, I put just a couple that um, I like. Psalm 103.11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the heavens are above the earth. Can you imagine that? I mean, it kind of makes my head hurt when I start thinking of space because I just can't even get a handle on it, how far it is. If we got in a spaceship right now, the fastest spaceship, and went to the end of our life, we still would not even get come to the end of the heavens. That's how much God loves us. It's abundant. It's overwhelming. It's limitless. His love for us is that great. 
Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Can you grasp just a little bit that love of God? What a difference it would make in our lives if we could grasp God's love. Pray that you can grasp a little bit of how much God loves you. Max Lucado says that if God had a calendar, your birthday would be circled. I like to think that if he had a refrigerator, my picture would be on it. In fact, in Isaiah 49:16, it says this, and I want to read, um, I want to start up above because it has even more impact. Uh-oh, I've got so many markers in here. Let me see if I can find Isaiah 49. I'm going to start reading in verse 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. This is God talking about us. He has engraved our name on the palm of his hands. Lady, if any, ladies, if any of you are discouraged today, then meditate on these verses and let God's love surround you and be encouraged by his words of love. Let's go on and look at chapter 3 now. And we're going to see um, in these first 10 verses Paul's actions of love for the Thessalonians. So um, follow along as I read, starting in verse 1. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Excuse me, you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. So Paul can't stand it any longer. He can't get back to him. So he sends Timothy to check on the Thessalonians. Who is Timothy? You guys looked at that today, um, found out that Timothy came from Lystra. His father was Greek, and his mom and his grandmother were Jewish. Um, Timothy was raised by them, and it says uh, in 2 Timothy that they taught him the scriptures from infancy. So they were godly, godly mom and a godly grandmother. And he um, becomes a believer in Jesus. And Paul meets uh, up with him, and he wants Timothy to go along with him on this second missionary journey. He meets him at the very beginning of this second missionary journey. Timothy comes uh, along, and he becomes a great helper and a great support for Paul. He calls Timothy his brother and his fellow laborer in spreading the gospel message. And even though Paul really needed Timothy to be with him, he would rather have him go and check on the Thessalonians. He wanted Timothy to be there because we also know that Silas probably went back probably to Philippi to check on the church there. And so Paul was alone. And he was in Athens now. And Athens was a big city. It was a godless city. Godless in that they did not believe in the one true living God. They had many false gods, the ungods, 
that they worshipped, but they didn't know the true God. But he would rather Timothy go back and leave him alone in Athens so that he could check on the Thessalonian believers. And we see here two reasons for Timothy going back. The first one is to strengthen their faith. He goes back to strengthen their faith and secondly, to encourage their faith. Or I like um, the way the message puts it. That translation says to cheer them on in the midst of affliction and trials. These trials that Paul had warned them about. Last week, Lynn talked about the persecution that Paul and Silas had faced when they were in Philippi, how they were beaten and thrown into prison. We've also read um, in Acts 17 the persecution um, that they experienced while they were in Thessalonica, how uh, they had to leave at night to escape the angry mob that the jealous Jews had stirred up. Paul had told them that trouble, opposition, distress, it will come to you as a believer, but God will sustain you. In your homework, you looked at some verses in uh, 2 Corinthians, and we read there and saw that how suffering can help us to rely on God. It causes us to rely on God, to turn to him so that he can sustain us. I think there's also another reason um, for suffering or something that can come out of suffering. And on your verse sheet, it's 2 Corinthians, oh, I put first, but it's actually 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And it says this, Praise be to the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. God comforts us. He sustains us. And oftentimes he uses other believers to comfort us and to sustain us. He sends us Timothys in our lives to strengthen our faith and to cheer us on. Now, we don't experience a great deal of physical um, persecution for our beliefs in this country today. But there are Christians in other countries that do experience persecution for their beliefs. Countries like uh, China and North Korea and Indonesia and um, Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan. And there's some African countries where they are still persecuted today. We need to pray for the persecuted Christians around the world. And there's something else that you can do if you choose. The Women's Prayer Committee will be um, mailing encouragement cards to Christians persecuted in four countries. And those countries are China, Colombia, Nigeria, and Ethiopia. And they're going to be doing this in the month of February. The, there are mailboxes out at the women's kiosk, and also on the back of your um, Christ Chapel woman, uh, the very re- recent one, on the back, it talks about this, and it tells you the things um, that you can write in the encouragement cards and the things that um, you, you shouldn't write. So you might consider taking a moment and encouraging a persecuted Christian. Be a Timothy for a Christian that's being persecuted in one of these countries. You know, we don't suffer much persecution, but we do have difficult and hard times. And we um, need Timothys to strengthen our faith and to cheer us on. I asked the question in your homework, how do we encourage others? You know, there's many ways. Prayer is huge. Never underestimate the power of prayer. 
We can also do those things, everyday things, taking meals, babysitting, um, picking kids up from carpool. We can also write words of encouragement to them. Words of love and encouragement make such a difference to people. Maybe email them. Maybe send them a scripture. I remember um, many years ago, I was at a Bible study, and I had given a prayer request. I don't even remember what it was at the time. But afterwards, a woman that I um, barely knew handed me a little slip of paper. And when I read it, it was Isaiah 41.10. I didn't put it on your verse sheet, but let me tell you what that verse says. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10 is a great verse of encouragement. Maybe you want to send a scripture verse to someone. You know, talk to God. Pray and ask him, is there someone that I should be encouraging? How should I encourage them? God will prompt us to encourage those that need encouraging. Then in verse 6, we read Timothy's report that he brings back to Paul. And this is really great news. Let's read um, verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Timothy comes back to him. And he says, their faith and love is strong. The faith and love of the Thessalonians is strong. And not only that, Paul, they miss you. They miss you like you miss them. And Paul is overjoyed. He is elated. It almost seems like he would be jumping up and down. He is so overjoyed to hear this great report about the Thessalonians. What great words of encouragement to hear him say, now we really live. Now, because you are standing firm in the, in the Lord, we really live. Paul is so overjoyed that he thanks God. That's his section, second action of love. First, he sends Timothy to the Thessalonians. And then second, he thanks God for the joy that the Thessalonians have brought him. Have you ever said those words to anyone? Have you ever told them how their standing firm in the faith brings you joy? I think those would be very encouraging words to say. Uh, two weeks ago, Linda Henry introduced uh, Anna Kiwavelli to you, and she told you that she was the um, African gal. She and her husband live in Tanzania, and they work for Alarm, the ministry that when the women's uh, leadership team goes over to Africa, that's who we work with. And they set up the women's conferences for us, and they do all the um, groundwork for us. And when she came back and was visiting here, we went to dinner with her. And she told us that she had just been to Zanzibar. That was where we went on our last trip. And that she had seen those women that we had um, met with and had taught. And she said, they are doing well. They're studying the word. And I can see a difference in their 
faith. Those were such encouraging words to us. We were overjoyed. It was like drinking cool water on a hot, thirsty day. It went deep inside us and made us so happy to think that God had used us in a small way in these ladies' lives on their path to God. As we see Paul's actions of love, we're reminded and encouraged by God's acts of love for us. We've already talked about some of them, how he um, brings other believers in our life to strengthen us and um, how he cheers us on. But the greatest act of love that God um, shows us is found in 1 John 4.10, and it says this. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Romans 5.8 says it like this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's his greatest act of love, and we can be encouraged by that. And then we have this last section, these last three verses. And in this, we see Paul's prayer of love for the Thessalonians. Let's read it. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. He ends with this prayer of love for the Thessalonians. And the first thing he prays for is he um, talks to God and he asks him to make it possible for Paul and Silas and Timothy to go back to the Thessalonians. Paul wants them to know that he is not going to forget them. That he loves them and his love is deep and committed and ongoing. And he wants to come back to them to help them, to help strengthen their faith even more. And I love this, that Paul goes to God with these everyday problems that he has. He goes to God and says, clear the way for us. You know, William Barclay calls this um, a God-directed life. When we go to God every day and we say, direct our life, Lord, what would you have me do today? How should I live my life today? Instead of a God-rescued life. And that's when we live our life and then we run to God when that hard time or that trial or that thing that we just can't figure out comes into our life. And then we go to God. And as I thought about this, I thought, how often I'm like that. Things are good. I'm living my life every day. And pretty soon a couple weeks have gone by and I thought, oh, I'm not even asking God for his direction. I'm living that God-rescued life. I want to be living a God-directed life. And that's what we see Paul. Paul is calling on the power of God. He um, calls on God's power. Then next, Paul asks God to increase the love of the Thessalonians. He asks that God would make it abundant, overflowing for each other and for everyone else. Jesus told his disciples to love one another. That's how the world will know that we are Jesus followers, by our love. Love is so important. Our love is a witness to others of our Lord. It's agape love, godly love. And we learned last week that we cannot do that on our own. We cannot have that kind of love on our own. It's God who supplies us with it. Maybe we might be able to love our children, or maybe not, or our grandchildren 
unselfishly, but to love everyone with a godly love. That comes from God alone. So Paul asks God to provide his love for the Thessalonians. We see Paul asking for the provision of God. He asks for God's provision. And then lastly, Paul asks God to strengthen their heart, strengthen their faith. And when he says blameless here, he doesn't mean um, that they would never sin, but that they would deal with their sin. They would confess it and repent. And then he says the word holy there, and that holy means set apart. They were separated to God in their heart and their daily walk. And for what occasion? For when the Lord Jesus comes back. Have you realized, ladies, that every chapter so far has ended with Paul talking about Jesus coming back to the Thessalonians? In chapter 1, at verse 10, he says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And then we just looked at that verse in the end of uh, chapter 2 that says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? And now, once again, he's talking about Jesus coming with the saints. The return of Christ is a major theme in the book of Thessalonians, and we're going to look at it very closely next week. Paul ends his prayer for the Thessalonians with the promise of God. He remembers God's promise. How do you pray for others? Do you call on God's power? Do you ask for his provision? Do you remember his promises? Praying for others is such an encouragement to them. One time, long time ago, I was in Bible study fellowship, and my very first leader I ever had was new um, to the job. And so she kept saying how inadequate she was, how um, she felt um, not really adequate for this task. She didn't think she was as smart as others. She didn't think she had enough Bible knowledge. But what she did for us was she prayed for us persistently and purposefully that whole year. She would call each one of us every week and she would ask, what is your prayer request? And she would pray for that. And we knew she was praying for us. It was great encouragement. And as I look back, she was my best leader ever because she prayed for me. And I was encouraged by her prayers. As I look at Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians, how that encouraged them, I'm reminded of how Jesus prayed for me. It was in uh, John 17, and I have the verse on your verse sheet, but I want to read a little bit more of that. And I can remember when I first read that and first realized that that was Jesus praying for me. Verse 20 says, My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. That's Jesus praying for you and me right there. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Are you encouraged, ladies, to think that Jesus prayed for you? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are such a loving God. It's hard to even grasp it. Father, thank you for these words of Paul to the Thessalonians, that through these words we might 
be reminded and think of how you love us, how you encourage us with your love. Lord, I pray for each one of these women here today that these words in 1 Thessalonians would go deep into their heart. Father, that um, you would teach us, that you would encourage us, that you would love us through these words. I pray that you would bless each woman in this room. Father, make our paths straight. Bring us back next week. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.